Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Before we get started today, make sure that you subscribe, leave that rate and review wherever you are listening. And of course, you can head over to iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe to get that inside information on the Hawkeyes from us in recruiting basketball and football. Of course, you can do that today. You can do that right now again at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. This episode, we're joined by Dylan Callahan Crowley of Happy Valley Insider to preview that Penn State give or well, the Iowa versus Penn State game this weekend in Happy Valley. It's a whiteout and it is a night game gonna be absolutely crazy dylan you and i were just talking a little bit about our expectations for this game uh, ahead on on saturday and if you can give me a, a quick preface of, of what your thoughts are going into this one we'll get into the thick of it here in a moment but but just yep. initial thoughts going into this game on saturday yeah, I mean, this is a, a really intriguing matchup, you know, on paper. Uh, you take out maybe the injury sides of it for now. Uh, I, I think these this is, you know, an always a really well-played rivalry game between these two. It may not be one that, you know, the outside world thinks of as a rivalry game, but since these two teams have been in the same conference, it, it's always been great games. I mean, of course, there's the 6-4 game uh, almost 20 years ago. There's the game just two years ago uh, in Iowa City as well. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a well-fought game. I, I think it's going to be, you know, a back-and-forth defensive battle for the most part. Uh, but, you know, after what Penn State struggled with a little bit against Illinois last week, I, I think there's definitely some play, places where Iowa can exploit the Nittany lines this week uh, or their offense this week. And, uh, yeah, I'm very intrigued to see how this one goes. Now – in regards to Penn State's schedule to this point, you mentioned Illinois. Yeah. Obviously, the turnovers were uh, came aplenty, I suppose, uh, for, yeah. for the Penn State defense last week. We were also talking about the Iowa schedule just before this, is that the Hawks, while scores might indicate that they've been challenged, they haven't really been challenged to this point, definitely left points on the board. Very much a, the better team when it came to yeah. the Iowa State and, of course, Utah State as well. So Illinois, Penn State takes that 30 to 13 victory. I haven't been able to watch the entirety of it yet to get a good look at film before we go into this this weekend. But what I've heard and what I was told about that game on Saturday is that it looked I guess it wasn't as indicative as okay. let me start over here. (laughs) The score wasn't indicative as to how close the game was Penn state was and is significantly better than Illinois is what I heard. Thoughts there. Yeah, no, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, it it was one of those kind of missed opportunities things for Penn state. I mean, they had uh, two turnovers, I think on Illinois, Illinois first three drives, they had the ball on Illinois side of the field um, and just couldn't punch them in for uh, touchdowns. We saw that against West Virginia as well. Penn state, you know, won that game uh, 38, uh, whatever it was. I, forget off the top of my head but it was also a game in week one against West Virginia that if Penn State takes advantage of a few opportunities turns field goals or has touchdowns instead of field goals they win 52 whatever now what what it was 38 um but uh last week against Illinois yeah Penn State was the much better team I think uh through and through defensively than any lines 
dominated that game. Uh, you, you'll see that Illinois threw for 270-some yards in that game. But what we've seen over the first three weeks, especially against West Virginia and Illinois, is Penn State's getting their second-team defense and backups, freshmen in there late in the fourth quarter, midway through the fourth quarter. And the opposing offenses are having a little bit more success against those players. So the numbers are a little bit more inflated at that point. Offensively, there's a lot that Penn State needed to clean up. It was Drew, Drew Lars, you know, first road start. Illinois is a, you know, very sound defensive team that has great defensive minds. So they knew, knew what their game plan was going to be in terms of trying to fluster Drew uh, on in his first road start. And they did a good job at that. But Drew's also a very smart quarterback, and he makes smart throws. He doesn't throw many balls and, you know, double or triple coverage. Um, if he misses, he misses, you know, where it's sailing out of bounds five feet over the wide receiver's head, doesn't have a great chance of being caught. Uh, he he re- very rarely misses badly. Um, but yeah, I definitely say the final score last week wasn't indicative of the true level of both teams. Um, and yes, there were some things Penn State has to work on, but it, Penn State was the very, very much the better team last week. Now, two questions off off of that. One is the I guess was that game in indication as to where the offense is at holistically and two is this weekend Penn State's first real challenge of the season would you even consider it a challenge against Iowa we we know what the spread is yeah. obviously Iowa has been struggling offensively Cade McNamara yet to really put it together uh, both of those questions sure so I'm going to start with uh the second one uh the second one I would say defensively definitely a challenge for this Penn State offense um and uh, you could probably say last week was somewhat of a challenge I mean you look at Illinois during the first two weeks of the season terrible on defense but we also saw with Toledo and Kansas what makes or breaks that Illinois defense is having a mobile quarterback Penn State obviously with Drew does not have a mobile quarterback but once the backup Bo Perbula stepped in last week he had success on the ground um, so I think one, the Illinois defense is better than the first two weeks may have indicated. I don't think it's the defense we saw last year, but it's definitely better than the first two weeks. Um, but the Iowa defense, I think is similar to the Illinois defense in terms of presenting a challenge, you know, complicated, uh, looks for a court, especially a young quarterback. Um, but Iowa has better talent, better athletes, a smarter defense in general, one of the best defense coordinators in the country, a guy who's done it plenty in his career, obviously. So I think it's definitely a step up from even last week. Um, offensively, we'll see if it what type of challenge that presents for Penn State's defense. I think Penn State has a big edge there. But going back to your first question about Penn State's offense last week, uh, it's a good question because this is a Penn State offense that is going to – for the most part, ground and pound opposing offenses. I mean, with that running back duo of Nichols, Singleton, Catron Allen, Penn State should be running the ball 30, 35 times a game, 150, 200 yards. Those are two of the best running backs in the country, in my opinion. 
Um, but last week, what we saw was Illinois really selling out to stop that run. They were putting eight, nine guys within the line of scrimmage uh, almost consistently, forcing Penn State to force them to beat them over the top. Now, the problem is for Penn State was, and something to watch this week was, uh, arguably their most consistent wide receiver, Harrison Wallace III, was not playing last week, and that was a big loss for Penn State. Um because beyond that, there is Keandre Lambert-Smith, their home run hitter. But there really isn't much proven commodities among Penn State's wide receiver room. And last week, we saw them struggle a little bit with Gen open. Uh, they they did have a few drops as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Or I'll be interested to see how Penn State's wide receivers this week go up against Iowa's secondary. Because uh, if Illinois Secondary gave them trouble. I imagine Iowa's is going to give them some trouble as well. Uh, and I, I think a lot of it comes back to Harrison Wallace third. If he's in there, Penn State probably has a little bit better chance of having an explosive passing attack. And with a quarterback like Drew, I'm not sure how much uh, tape or how much tape Iowa fans have watched, but this is the type of quarterback that he, just looking at his skill set, he throws guys open. He has that talent. He's the town type of quarterback town that makes the guys around him better, but he's still, you know, a sophomore quarterback who has three career starts. So uh, he, he's going to have some mistakes at some point. It's just a matter of will those be mistakes that, you know, make or break a game. Um, so I definitely think it exposed some issues in Penn state's offense last week, but I'm not ready to say yet that it's, you know, major issues that Penn State can't get by. I think get I think going up against an Illinois defense that could provide some of the same challenges as Iowa was a good appetizer per se for Penn State's offense in pre- preparation for this week. So on that aspect, I think it probably helped game plan for Iowa this week. Now if with Harrison – yeah, for sure. Uh, now with Harrison Wallace, what's the diagnosis? Do you know what like like excuse me the likelihood of of him playing this weekend is? Uh, yeah, we are completely kept in the dark about injuries uh, on the Penn State side of things. Um, unless it's a season-ending injury, we really don't know. Um, now if our call was uh you know about three hours later than it is right now, I could probably tell you because uh we have access to practice on Wednesday nights and uh while you know it's not always 100% of a guy practices on Wednesday. They're playing on Saturday, but usually a pretty good indication of where they are. Now, for on the other side of things, uh, Amari Evans, a wide receiver for Penn State, um, who missed week one, played in week two. He practiced uh, last Wednesday, but wasn't seen as well against Illinois. Um, he's not a, a major name to know, but he's, all, he's one of those young guys that Penn State – uh, thinks could have a breakout here uh, this season if he can stay on the field, obviously, since he's missed two or three games. But so, yeah, it's it's a big if, I guess, right now if Wallace is available on Saturday. Um, if he is, it's it's big for Penn State's wide receiver room. And if he's not there, uh, it definitely opens up questions just because, like I said, outside of Keandre Lambert-Smith, not a lot of certainty about what you have. A lot of young guys or uh, a lot of guys that haven't, been productive for Penn State yet. Uh, one of those guys being Dante Cephas, a Kent State transfer who was expected to do big things, just hasn't had a click for Penn, for for him at Penn State yet. James Franklin and uh, Camp was talking about him 
having to adapt to the power five game. It's different, you know, going up against it once or twice a season, but for him, he's going up against one of the best secondaries in the country every day. And it, it just hasn't been a smooth transition for him. Now for Wallace's health, I'll definitely have you uh, message me after practice sure. and, and we can, uh, we can at the very least share that with our premium subscribers, all the more reason to head over to Iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Jameless plug here on Hotcast on this Thursday edition of the show. Now, one of our points of conversation yesterday in media availability was the matchup of Penn State's secondary with these receivers who haven't really been involved with the Iowa offense. They have, but not to the degree that, uh, well, an offense, I guess, that that folks would like in terms of, the, especially with the talent that is in that, that group uh, at Iowa, in Caleb Brown coming from Ohio State, Seth Anderson, who's been productive so far, Deontay Vines and Nico Ragaini, who have been with the program, and a quarterback like Cade McNamara and the expectations that you have with, with a guy like Cade. There's some real talent in that secondary. What kind of uh, issues or or difficulties do they present for opposing receivers? Yeah, I mean, Penn State loves physical uh, defensive backs, especially, you know, at corner. Uh, th- this is one of the most physical DB rooms, I'd have to say, probably in the country. Um, they they don't really back down from any challenge. They they play tight cov- coverage in man-to-man all the time. In zone, they're still, you know, very dangerous. It's just I – th- I think the thing with them is that, all right, you're not throwing Kalen King's way – that's fine. But then, you know, you still are targeting guys like uh, Johnny Dixon, who is a guy who could go on to play in the NFL. Uh, Daquan Hardy, uh, one of the nickelbacks who missed the first two games return last week against Illinois. There is some rust, obviously, but he also had a, a tremendous interception in that game on uh, perfect coverage. Uh, and then they have guys like uh, Cam Miller, and they even have some true freshmen playing this year in L.A. Washington, uh, Zion Tracy, and um, – in, at safety, they have another one in King Mac as well. So I, I, it's just the depth that I think is really dangerous for Penn State uh, when it goes for sorry for opposing teams going up against Penn State. It's just because it's not it's just not Kalen King out there. It's it's the whole starting unit and it's the whole you know too deep. Uh, anybody who's out there can make game changing plays, and I, I I really do think this is maybe the best secondary in the country. Uh, because outside of the fourth quarters, when it's the second, third string defense out there, this has been ex- an extremely hard secondary to throw into. Yeah, they'll have their busted coverages every now and then, but it's far and few in between. And when you combine that with the the Penn State pass rush, which, uh, according to football, Pro Football Focus, has seventy total quarterback pressures through three games, it's it's a deadly combination to say the least. Because if if you're not getting the ball out right away, you're, you know, risking a sack, but, and, and then, you know, thrown into the secondary, whether you're getting it right away or holding on to the ball is just, it's a dangerous game. I just was exasperated for a moment for those of you who didn't see, hear that sigh on, on my mic. That is a lot of pressures through three games. Now, granted, first two games played Delaware and West Virginia who West Virginia is a power five program, but so, and, and I'm not sure how good Illinois offensive line is to this point. Yeah, I I would definitely, I'm actually going back and looking right now. 
I mean, 15 of those pressures came against uh, Delaware. But last week against Illinois, Penn State really started clicking on the defensive side of the ball, especially on that defensive line uh, where they were really racking up the uh, pressures on Luke Aldmeyer. I'm looking at, yeah, last week they had, according to Pro Football Focus, 34 pressures on Luke Aldmeyer. And, uh, and and you saw what happened with Luke Aldmeyer throwing four interceptions in that game. It The pressure just kept getting to him. Um, and, and that's the thing about this Penn State uh, defensive line too. It's it's not just one guy or two guys. They have four guys they confidently can put out there and think they could get to the quarterback any pass rush. Now, flipping that, the Iowa defensive line and the Penn State offensive line was another topic of conversation yeah. that that we hit on quite a bit yesterday. Um, what's the, I guess, generally the strategy to this point for opposing offenses has been that thing you mentioned is getting the ball out quick yeah. uh, against Iowa's defensive line and their pass rush because that's probably – if without Noah Shannon, I would say, well, previously the defensive line group and the tight end group were the two deepest positions. Now the defensive line group doesn't have Noah Shannon. The tight end group doesn't have Luke Lachey. Yeah. So obviously taking hits in terms of talent and guys that have been with the program for a little while, but Iowa's defensive line is still among some of the best in the country uh, with, with the talent that they've brought back and, and the production that they've put forth. And, I believe it's their uh, it's Penn State's left tackle that that is pretty highly regarded, correct? Yeah, Oluf, uh, Fashanu, yeah, uh, okay, potential top five draft pick next fall, yeah, next spring. bingo, yeah. yes. So, is is that a topic of conversation to this point with with the Penn Penn State, you know, fan base and and yeah. those that are covering the game? Yeah, I mean, it's the offensive line. It's one of those things you look at the numbers themselves uh and and they're not terrible i think penn state let me look at here has given up one sack this season uh they've given up a couple pressures but um drew drew Lar is just well beyond his years when it comes to his pocket presence his ability to climb a pocket uh avoid getting hit getting the ball away uh which helps but the penn state offensive line hasn't exactly been you know, a, a brick wall this year. Uh, and now that's for a couple of reasons. One in week one, they struggled uh, with, uh, they had a few new starters. Uh, last year they had Drew Scruggs at center. Scruggs has moved on to the NFL. Uh, that moved Hunter Norzad, a Cornell transfer from guard to center. Norzad has had an up and down first few weeks. He's also a guy who, during his career at Penn State, has always seemingly been banged up. Not enough to where he can't play, but if you're banged up that much, it has to hurt you on the field to a degree. Um, and also the right side of the offensive line has always kind of been a little bit of a struggle last year, especially Caden Wallace and Sal Warmly are their uh, right tackles and right guards respectively. Um, Wallace has stepped up this year to a degree warmly on the other hand their guard has kind of struggled in both the pass rush and the uh, run blocking uh, going back to Norzad it's been a mixed case so far this year he had a tough matchup last week against uh, Jazir Newton uh, who is obviously one of the better defensive tackles in uh, the entire country 
I think the bigger question for Penn State's offensive line as a whole right now is the run blocking. It, it has not been good at all. Um, now, part of that is now I shouldn't say not a good, not as good, not good as all, but can't speak. But it's been a struggle at times. Their pass rush has been pretty, pretty solid. Olu Fashionu has been outstanding. He rarely allows a quarterback pressure, um, and then the rest of it has been okay in the past for us, but they're not allowing a ton of pressures, which I guess ultimately is the big, you know, you know, the big thing, but the run blocking has been a concern fashion new, despite being a great pass blocker, not a great run blocker. And they're just not getting a lot of push on that offensive line. Now, part of that is teams selling out to stop the run. I mean, it's going up against Nick Dawkins and Katron Allen is a huge test for any defense. So put in, you know, six, seven, eight guys within the box is being kind of the MO for opposing defense these first few weeks. And it, it's definitely hurt Penn State's offensive line. Uh, it, it always feels like somebody's going missed, you know, in, in blocking schemes. But uh, and I think that's where I was going to have probably their most success. I, I think they'll have success in getting to Drew as well in the passing attack. But I think it. The big question is how much can Iowa slow down Penn State's rushing attack? Penn State has had very few explosive plays on the ground. They'll have three or four a game so far, but compared to last year, that's that's nothing. So um, that's, I think, the big area of concern for Penn State is just how to get the run game going against this Iowa front seven because if you don't get the run game going, that obviously makes throwing the ball a lot harder. Um, but – that goes back to the wide receiver discussion we had it, without Harrison Wallace the third, the wide receiver room is a little less scary. And if teams, you know, are not afraid to take their chances with Penn state throwing the ball, they can sell out against the run more often and uh, be more successful doing it, doing so as well. Now we've talked about, obviously the, the front lines, the everything in the trenches, uh, the secondaries, wide receiver groups, quarterbacks. Is there anything else that when you look at this this matchup, oh, we got to talk about X, Y, Z, right? We we got to yeah. we got to consider this factor. Is there anything else that jumps off the page to you when it comes to this game? Because obviously the trenches are are up there, the secondaries and the quarterbacks are are going to be the the bigger things, but. I mean, for, for example, for, for me, it was the thing, again, that, that we talked about before we started recording, is not only is the Iowa offense missing Caleb Johnson and yeah. Jazz Patterson, but they've got two freshman running backs back there, true freshman running backs. Yeah. Obviously, LeSean Williams is the guy uh, that'll be the the bell cow for for the offense in terms of running backs, but then it's Kamari Moulton, and, and then it's Terrell Washington, two true freshmen. And obviously losing Luke Lachey is is just a, a heartbreaker for this team because he's a leader. He's just a really good dude, and he's arguably your best player. But yeah. at tight end you, you've got guys that can that can step up and and not necessarily be Luke Lachey, but that can be productive. Obviously, you got Eric All 
coming out of the portal. Uh, Steven Stilianos and Addison Ostranga have, have been impressive. And then in that fourth spot, Johnny Pascuzzi, who we won't see a ton of, but has the greatest last name of all time. Sure. Now, <laughs> so, so those are uh, the things the you know, the injuries who who's filling those roles. Those are, those are the things that, that stick out to me other than what we've already talked about for, yeah. for this pod. Yeah. For me, I think that then that really sticks out to me is, uh, on both sides, this is going to be a very interesting matchup for linebackers versus tight ends. I mean, th- this these are two of the best tight end schools, obviously, in the country. Obviously, Iowa's tight end U. And uh, Penn State are, uh, obviously likes to kind of make similar uh, monikers about themselves as well. But, I mean, both schools, I think we both agree, have produced absolutely great tight end talent uh, over the last uh, – few years um but uh you know you look at penn state this is a penn state linebacker room that is very athletic uh with especially curtis jacobs and abdul carter two of the best i think linebacker duo one of the best linebacker duos you can probably find in the big 10 and in the country um abdul carter is probably a guy we should absolutely i should absolutely mention game changing type linebacker for penn state I hate to throw out, you know, the Micah Parsons type comparisons because Micah was a, a very different animal. Abdul was very good, but Micah was obviously uh, just a ridiculous talent. And Abdul has a chance to be to a similar level, but he has a very similar skill set. He can be good in coverage. He's good against a run, and he's an elite pass rusher. Um, but Curtis Jacobs is very athletic and, you know, stay with most tight ends as well. So I'm going to be interested to see how those two match up against, you know, Iowa's tight end room. And then I haven't watched a ton of Iowa tape just yet, but I'm interested to see how Penn State's tight end duo of Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson matches up against an Iowa linebacker room that obviously looks pretty solid, but also you look at the stats has allowed, I think a 70% completion percentage or somewhere around there this year. Um, Now the yards, Total yardage isn't terrible, but um, anytime you know you're you're allowing seventy percent of completions, uh, especially if you're going up against a very talented tight end room, raises an eyebrow because if you allow this Penn State tight end room, in my opinion, to have that many opportunities, there's a quality chance one of the tight ends is going to, you know, be able to make a play on one of those, and uh, in a game like this with two elite defenses. It, it may only take, you know, a tight, a tight end getting loose once to change the game. I mean, it, it wasn't an Iowa game, but I think back to Penn State, Michigan, um, I think two years ago, uh, and the deciding play in that game was an Eric All touchdown on a missed tackle. Uh, it, it should have been, you know, Eric All should have been wrapped up, you know, I think it was five, ten yards from the line of scrimmage, but instead he – gets he breaks the tackle and goes 60 70 yards for what would be the game winning touchdown um and i think it's going to be a similar matchup this week on paper where this could be a close game between the two teams where if one of these two teams tight ends make a big play it could be the decider um so i i think that's an interesting matchup on both sides just how the which linebacker room is going to have the advantage against the tight ends or have the better game uh that could be a matchup that does decide the game. You referenced two years ago. Obviously, Penn State came to Iowa City, and Iowa took the victory. 
the staff, I guess Coach Ference and, and a few players were asked about that, and they didn't want to give it the time of day. It was basically like, yeah, that was two years ago. It was fun, but we're on to this game. Has that been a, a point of conversation to this point uh, for for Penn State? And and is that fresh in their minds, I guess? Um, if you ask James Franklin and his staff, they're going to absolutely say no. It has absolutely been a discussion point among media and fans. Um, I mean, and no discredit to Iowa, but you look back at that Iowa-Penn State game two years ago. When Sean Clifford went down, Penn State was up two scores, and they were moving the ball with Will um, at that point. Uh, and I think if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt, maybe, I don't know if it would have been a blowout, but I think Penn State probably wins that game. Um, I, and I think that that does, that's going to obviously be in the back of James Franklin and his coaching staff's minds. You you look back in James Franklin's coaching history, and I, I don't want to – petty is not the wide word, but when he has the opportunity to make statements against teams that, you know, has beat him in the past or he hasn't liked how something has happened in the past, Franklin has the tendency to kind of keep his foot on the pedal. But I think even more so, a whiteout crowd is always already going to be a tough environment for anybody. But – even if Penn State's coaching staff doesn't say this week or two years ago is playing any factor, which I, I don't think it should. That was two years ago. It's a different team Too Wiley. This Penn State to team is much different than that one. But for Penn State fans, they obviously remember what happened two years ago. So I think especially early on, that's going to add a little bit of extra oomph to the crowd. The crowd's going to be a little bit more hyped up. But yeah, I, I definitely think Penn State is not going to take their foot off the pedal in this one. Uh, if they ha- have the opportunity, you know, in the third quarter, um, early fourth quarter, but I also don't expect it to be in a scenario where Penn state has those opportunities late to, you know, take the foot off the pedal. Cause I, I'm just not sure Penn state's offense is going to get a big enough fleet against this Iowa defense where, it, um, you know, uh, they feel comfortable maybe, you know, trying to air it out late, trying to make a statement, but also, you know, even if they do, it's in the playoff era, there's two other teams in the big 10 East that can make the college football playoffs. All three teams could very well go 11 to one Penn state needs all the style points per se this year. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, on paper, if, if you ask them, no, but yeah, they definitely are going to be thinking about that to a degree. And, they, I think, have revenge on their minds for what happened two years ago. Before I get your final score, final expectations, this is my first whiteout. Uh, we, Adam and I will be there uh, in State College to cover this game. And for maybe folks who are listening that, that are going to be there, maybe it's their first whiteout. What the hell should we expect, man? <laughs> it, it looks like a, a wild environment. Yeah, it's... I and uh, I, I I suggest uh, for any obviously if Iowa fans are going, they're going to be tailgating all all day with uh, the Penn State faithful, and uh, you know it it may be an intimidating road environment, but I can assure you for all Iowa fans out there, uh, you know there's always a few assholes in the crowds, but ninety five ninety nine percent of Penn State fans. Uh, while you're passing by, they may give you, you know, a little bit of crap, but they, they'll they still, you know, welcome you into the tailgate to have a bite to eat, to have, you know, an adult beverage, uh, whatever it may be. Uh, 
uh, I'm sure they'll everybody will get along just fine. But what once the stadium gates open, it's going to be a whole different type of animal. Um, that stadium is going to fill up. A, you know, the gates open an hour and a half before kickoff, something like that. The the stadium will be filled within the first 30 minutes, especially the student section. It's going to be loud from 60 minutes to kick all the way to kickoff. And uh, the sound's not going to go down until, uh, you know, the fourth quarter when the clock strikes zero. It, it is truly one of the best environments in sports. Uh, earlier this year, Penn State, you know, had a night game against West Virginia. And that was a pretty ruckus crowd. And I think a lot of that is not obviously – and obviously that was to a degree an old rivalry game, but let's be honest, anybody who was in that state, any student in that stadium didn't wasn't alive last time Penn State played West Virginia. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with Penn State's expectations this year. In state college, expectations are that this is a Penn State team that can absolutely win the Big Ten, make the college football playoffs. Yeah, they have to beat one of Ohio State or Michigan. But I think if you ask most media members, we believe they can beat one of Penn State or Michigan. It's just, sorry, one of Ohio State or Michigan. It's just a matter of which one is it going to be. If they knock off Ohio State on the road, then everything's on the table in terms of what the possibilities are for this team. Now, of course, they have to beat Iowa first this week, which is going to be a test in itself. But I think a whiteout crowd, no matter what, is always crazy, ruckus, loud from 60 minutes before kick till the end. But I think you add in the expectations. You add in what happened two years ago in Iowa City. There's going to be a little bit, like I said, a little bit extra oomph in this crowd, and uh, it's going to be it's going to be rocking. I mean, Tom Vanerheen of ESPN uh, posted on Twitter, I think, uh, earlier today about how he went to the bathroom uh, a couple years ago when he went to the one whiteout uh, in the press box, and uh, he thought like the press box was going to collapse because how much it's shaken. Uh, the press box will absolutely be shaken. It is quite a feel, and it was shaken before kickoff against West Virginia, and I expect it to be shaken well before kickoff on Saturday against Iowa. It's it's an environment to enjoy, even as a, a rider, just because it's. I haven't experienced a, a Kinnick night kickoff yet, but I'm very much looking forward to experiencing that down the road. Um, it's it's just one of those moments as a, as a college ball fan. But as somebody, you know, we do this because we love college football. We love going to these type of games, being in these type of environments. These are the type of environments you just take a step back for a minute and enjoy being there just because of the atmosphere that's being created around you. Can't wait, man. I can't wait. It, it, it's going to be fun. And and with that said, I'm here to disappoint Iowa fans and say I think – I really think that, that Penn State takes the win in this one. Um I'd probably say if I had to, you know, I I changed my final score prediction right up until the very last moment that, on our yeah. on our premium board. I always do at least like the day before and say, hey, here's mine. What's yours? And so for right now, I, I'd probably say like 31-16, an advantage of, yeah. of Penn State. So. I think that's a pretty fair fair score. And I think the other thing we should absolutely note here and something I've been actually tracking on Twitter a little bit, I'll probably put up an update after we get done here, is uh, there is a chance of rain Saturday night in Happy Valley. How much rain that remains to be seen? A couple 
days ago, it was going to be like three quarters of an inch or four hours. Obviously, that's a lot of rain. Yesterday, it was supposed to be a uh, half an inch over nine hours. Now it looks like it's going to be, you know, spotty showers throughout the evening. So who knows how much rain will actually be uh, coming down during the game. I think it's safe to say there will be some rain, but obviously how much rain will determine how Penn State can throw the ball. And and I think if Penn State can't throw the ball, that definitely plays more into Iowa's hands and could definitely make this game closer. If the rain is, you know, off and on, I think Penn State will be fine. Ultimately, like you, I'm somebody who goes back and forth. I will say one score, you know, as a gut uh, prediction, you know, on a Sunday. And then by Saturday, it may look completely different. Ultimately, I think, like we said, my biggest question mark in this game is how is Iowa going to move the ball consistently? I, I I think the over-under for team total on Vegas right now, if I heard earlier correctly, was like 12 and a half points. I, I think two touchdowns is doable for Iowa. Penn State's defense is elite, yes, but this is a defense that will get – for how aggressive they are with that aggressiveness often comes, you know, a – big play because somebody misses a tackle or you get burned on, you know, a blitz. Um, so I, I think a big, big player too can definitely happen for Iowa, but I, I'm just not sure they're going to have enough big plays in this game offensively to really have a great chance of winning. I think they have a, a solid chance of winning, but I think it's going to take Iowa's defense forcing two or three turnovers probably having to be around midfield or in Penn State's side of the field uh, to really, you know, make a difference in this game. So right now I think I'm leaning Penn State 31-13, 31-16. I, I think they probably end up covering that score. But, you know, it's one of those games I can see if things go Iowa's way. I, I can see things going Iowa's way. Penn State still winning this game ugly 23-14. And I could also see a game where, you know, Penn State is up maybe 24-10, but they get two big plays late because the D Iowa defense has been on the field so much because the offense shows to move the ball, gets two late touchdowns, and it then looks like a, a blowout and Penn State wins, you know, 38-10 or something like that. I think that's a little less likely, but I, I, I if you're – Locking me down to a score, I'll, I'm going to say give me Penn State 34, Iowa 13 right now. I, I think they cover the, the spread of 14.5 points right now, and I think they get a late touchdown that kind of seals the victory. There you have it. We're both expecting uh, a Penn State win. We will see how it shakes out on Saturday in Happy Valley. We'll wrap it up here. We appreciate you tuning into this episode of Hotcast brought to you by iowa.rivals.com. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, you do that at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. We get you great inside information on all the recruiting football and basketball. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a rate and review wherever you're listening. That does help us out a lot. So for now, We'll see you next time.